Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with Sam Weinberg, professor at the Stanford Graduate School of Education, director of the Stanford History Education Group, and lead author of the study, Evaluating Information, the Cornerstone of Civic Online Reasoning. Sam, welcome to the EdCast. It's my pleasure, Matt. So Sam, a study and report came out in late November from the Stanford History Education Group that examined how youth are unable to determine whether information is real or fake on the internet. A little bit about this study and why you decided to delve into this very important and very timely topic. Well, let me let me uh, expand the purview just a little bit, Matt. It's not just uh, the question of real or fake. But it's the broader question of how do all of us evaluate the information that comes through us via a screen? And the, the, the choice before us is, is far more complicated than a simple binary of real or fake. It's really about asking questions about where all information comes from in the social and political world. There's really no question of civic import, uh, whether it's a decision by taxpayers to impose a tax on sugary drinks or a news item that's claiming to be true, there's no item that, that, that can escape the evaluation of where does it come from and is it worthy of our belief. Um, these are questions that we have been looking at for a long time. Our work with the Stanford History Education Group is, is uh, uh, devoted to creating a new kind of curriculum that teaches young people, our future citizens, to evaluate all kinds of information that comes to them, comes to them, whether it is information about the past, about a historical interpretation, or the claim to a fact, or information about what they should choose to do in the ballot booth as uh, future as future voters. So we've been actually dealing with these questions for close to about 25 years. And it seems like it's really at a, a, a tipping point right now in terms of getting coverage in the news. Uh, with the sort of post-truth word being thrown around. A little bit about the study and the 7,800 student responses that you collected. The study was commissioned by the uh, Robert McCormick Foundation of Chicago, and they were interested in coming up with a series of measures that allow us to get a purchase on how well young people do with digital information. There's a great deal of mythology that still permeates society um, that says that uh, the app generation, today's young people, um, because they are fluent with a series of digital devices, beyond those devices is a vast pool of expertise in evaluating the kinds of information that those devices yield. And that simply is not true. And the McCormick Foundation wanted to come up with some metrics that would allow us to be able to actually document that with a little bit more precision than armchair theorizing. So we developed this a series of assessments, or short assessments, um, for middle school students all the way up through college that look at their ability to, to make judgments of credibility of the kind of information that, encounter, that they encounter online. And some of the research findings, what you discovered, what you went into the study, interested in finding out versus what sort of ended up being realized by what you, what you saw with the student responses? Well, our goal, 
format was never to uh, to shake out a grade or to come up with multiple choice tests where one answer is slightly better than the next so that you can trick students with distractors, the kind of, uh, of uh, tools of the trade of the of the commercial testing testing industry. That was never our intention. What we wanted to do was to come up with what we thought in consultation with a group of teacher experts and our other advisors. What we, what we thought was be a reasonable bar at each developmental level. So we thought, for instance, at middle school, that students uh, looking at the, uh, the, the uh, landing page of a website like Slate or any other, any other kind of a site that mixes uh, news items with advertisements, we thought that a pretty basic skill would be the ability to distinguish between what is an ad and what is an advertisement. Uh, at the high school level, where a, uh, an item comes along about uh, uh, mutant daisies in the face of the accident after the tsunami at the Fukushima plant in Japan, the, the ability to ask, where does, this, where does this photo come from? Is it true? Who posted it? Should we believe it? It's not necessarily false. It's not necessarily bogus. But basic questions about where this comes from. And at the college level, uh, um, the ability to recognize different genres of sources and not simply depend upon superficial clues like uh, .org, but to actually look at the sources and make a determination about whether those sources are credible. And were you surprised with any of the findings? Did, did anything uh, stick out in terms of all the research that you did across, I think, 12 states? Yes. We were surprised. We were surprised and dismayed. When we started out uh, inventing and piloting our exercises, we rejected many ideas because they thought, we thought they would be too easy. We thought they would just be almost trivial in their, easiest, in their easiness for young people. And it turns out that uh, we, too, were taken in a little bit by the myth of digital natives. We assumed that some of these things, which we imagined would be ordinary or routine, actually provide significant challenges to young people across all of the grade levels. And I, and I think this is where you know we like to provide a call to action for listeners. So if, if, if a parent is listening to this podcast and realizing, okay, so my, my kid may not be able to differentiate between a, a news story or an ad or whatever, what do we do? What do we suggest to teachers or parents? What can they start doing in order to educate young people to recognize the difference between something that is true and, and not? The first thing that we should do is to recognize, I think it's a, it is a, a phrase from the New Testament, physician heal thyself. So, so there's, a, there's an industry study on what's called native advertising. That's a euphemism for ads that masquerade as news stories. And there's an industry study that touts the impressive achievement that uh, something like 59% of adults shown a little bit more sophisticated web pages and newspaper ads uh, were also had a difficult time distinguishing between news and ads. So let's, let's first recognize that, that let's not uh, demonize our young people. Let's recognize that we have entered a technological revolution where the tools that we've invented are handling us, not us, them. And this is a problem that goes across all strata of society. It's not restricted to 14 to 18 year olds or 18 to 22 year olds. It is also a deep problem for many of their teachers and many of us and many of our listeners. 
we, the web has become so sophisticated at this point that many of us are taken in by the kinds of ruses that are part of the stock and trade of sophisticated web designers. And do you imagine things getting better, Sam? I mean, are people going to wise up, or is the there going to be safer places in the wild west of the internet where you know you don't necessarily have to worry about differentiating things? You know, scope out a five, ten years from now, or a couple years, and and let us know what this looks like and how people are going to be learning to to make better decisions and and have better awareness. Well, in the short term, Matt. Uh there's going to continue to be chaos and a lot of uh, false solutions or band-aids. In the wake of our study, there were calls for, uh, let's integrate, let's let's, uh, uh, immediately go out and buy a media literacy curriculum and implement it in our schools and deal with the crisis du jour. Um, We can, for those of us who are familiar with uh, decades of educational reform, we recognize this pattern. Every time there's a crisis, whether it's a crisis about the environment or a crisis about character education or drive-by shootings, there is a new program that's immediately implemented. And like barnacles under the hull of a ship, they are added to a very crowded school curriculum. And in a time of budget cuts, they're the first thing that goes. And this, in the short term, will be what schools do. It's it's a long-standing standing pattern of schools. The calls are already out there. There are already bills in state legislatures for this type of thing. And in the short term, it will, it will just be a small little Band-Aid that doesn't address the root of the problem. The root of the problem, Matt, is that we no longer learn about the world through three television stations and a physical printed morning newspaper. The world comes through us mediated by screens that are in digital devices. And in this world, anyone can become a newscaster. Anyone can become a historian. Anyone with a high-speed internet connection and a $20 web, plate, web template can pretend that they are an expert and get an incredible following. We saw this with the last election. People running websites out of their living rooms, getting more hits, than the web page of uh, USA Today, which is the most circulated newspaper in the country. So we are in a time of chaos where the way that we learn about the world has fundamentally shifted, but our ways of thinking about it still go toward small band-aids and little patches. Rather than fundamentally rethinking, how do we teach science in this day and age when a good part of the population wants to believe in the face of strong evidence that there is no such thing as climate change or that there is a clear link between autism and vaccinations. How are we going to teach history when you can go on the web and learn, and I put learn in quotation marks, about thousands of African-Americans who suited up in Confederate gray and fought on the side of the Confederacy For what reason? Ostensibly to preserve the right to be slaves? I mean, this is the world that we live in. And we see when our president-elect tweets things from Alex Jones's info world, uh, a a website and an author that denies uh, climate change, who denies what happened on 9-11, who embraces every conspiracy theory under the sun. It's not some crank that's doing this. It's our president-elect, the person who... Who, holds, who will hold the highest office in the land. 
So we are in a fundamental shift at this point in time, and schools are fundamentally behind in responding to it. So, Sam, just to leave us on a, a hopefully optimistic note, if if the sort of patches and the Band-Aids are to bring in the literacy, media literacy curriculums and the little mini interventions that may or may not work, uh, is there anything that you would recommend that a parent can do today after listening, that a teacher can do tomorrow in the classroom that can be at least in the right direction of getting sort of things, writing the ship? Well, I'll leave, you, I'll leave you with a positive note, um, and a positive note for your parents and a positive note for teachers. We, as part of our research, and this is a report that will come out this, uh, this coming spring, we wanted to understand who among us is able to quickly discern the uh, more credible information from weaker information. And our search led us around in circles um, in that sense. It was a good empirical exercise because our assumptions of who did this well um, turned, out to be, turned out to be off base until we ended up interviewing and, and uh, actually watching the reactions in real time to real websites, a group of fact checkers at the nation's most esteemed publication. And they did several things that are fundamentally different from the rest of us. Um, they're not the whole story, but you asked for a positive note and something practical, and I'll give you something practical. When we come to a website that we don't know, that we are unfamiliar with, many of us will read it like a print source. We will look at it. We will read it vertically. A vertical reading, we will go up and down. We might venture to the about page, which is not terribly useful because uh, a website, a cloaked website, can write anything on their about page. So all of this information that we hear, go to the about page. No, if you are on an, on an unfamiliar site, the about page is not going to help you because you don't know whether they're being forthcoming with you about what, they, what their real agenda is. What fact checkers do is they read a website in a fundamentally different way from how they read a printed source. They read a website laterally rather than vertically. If they are on an unfamiliar website, they immediately open multiple windows to get a sense of who is this organization, what is this organization, who is behind it, who's telling me this information about bullying, about the usefulness of a tax on sugary drinks, about the legalization of marijuana or its decriminalization. Who is behind this? And so rather than spending a whole bunch of time engaged in what the, the Common Core has made popular as this notion of close reading, rather than close reading something that you don't even know who produced it, what fact checkers will do is they will read horizontally across a lateral line opening up multiple windows in order to get a sense of where does this information come from. Only then do they go back to the original source of information and begin to evaluate it. Sam, great, great tips. And, and for all the work that you do in this field, this very important work for not just millennials, but for civics, for democracy, for our country, for the world. Uh, appreciate you sharing your research on the ICAST. Where can people learn more if they want to get in touch with you about future research or just learn more from Sam Weinberg? They can go to the website of the Stanford History Education Group, which is SHEG, S-H-E-G, 
www.stanford.edu. We have uh, ongoing updates of all of our work, and when we produce something in writing, we we put it up on our site. And uh, people can follow me on Twitter, Sam Weinberg, on Twitter. Sam Weinberg, that's S-A-M. W-I-N-E-B-U-R-G, the professor at Stanford Graduate School of Education, director of the Stanford History Education Group. Sam, thanks for being on the EdCast today. It's my pleasure. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.